it was discovered that 70% of the Israelis believe that they belong to a chosen people. And this I cannot accept. That the Bible is not a historical book. Not the First Testament and not the second one. Humanity's family tree may need some pruning. The discovery of an ancient skull has revealed clues that could shake up the accepted theories of human evolution. Unfortunately, religion has this other component where it goes into, instead of what the sociologists might call pattern-transcending activity, or mental activity as well as behavior, it's into pattern-maintenance activity, and it becomes a tool of the state and the society and the, con and the conventional culture to control people. So we came to the conclusion that, in fact, Moses and Akhenaten were one and the same people, and that uh, how can we have an Egyptian king who have a mixed blood with the, with the, with the Israelites? You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Here's Basil and Gons. Welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 70. Seven zero. Seven zero. Yep. Just keeps going. Never it ends. does not stop. Uh, we have an interesting show for you guys today. This is probably one of the more challenging shows we've ever had. Yeah, so strap in and uh, get ready. Yeah. So as we go through the conversation with our guests today, I'm just going to give a fair warning that there will be times when you want to just reach through your podcast player and strangle mostly probably me or Gons for not addressing certain things at certain times. And the reason that we did not get into big debates at the time was because here at Canary Grand Radio, we are here to hear people out. And so um, we gave our guests the chance to present themselves relatively congenially. And, um, you know, there'll be a lot of things that you'll want to hear more about or hear Gans and I's opinion on. And just stick around to the end because that's when uh, we'll pop in and talk a little more. Right. And after the interview itself, we will uh, more or less go over uh, not every point, but, you know, a basic general uh, overview of a few of the things that are mentioned uh, during the conversation. Just kind of like uh, how Erica Gray, the interview, sparked some some heat. You guys have been commenting quite a bit yes. on the website. And uh, so, again, once you guys listen to it, you can jump into the comments and start posting your thoughts and share links. And we will also share all kinds of links and stuff. Uh, on the show notes. Yes. Okay, so make sure to do that at canarycryradio.com. Yeah, and you know, some of you guys have been saying that you haven't been able to play the MP3 on the website. Oh, yeah. And um, I've been trying to ask the Blueberry PowerPress people what's going on, and they're not really being too helpful. So, sorry about that, everybody. I apologize. Working on it, you know? Yeah. Uh, Internet, man. I know. But if you can't listen to it on the website, you can still download it on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or whatever podcast or, 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 yeah. 
Okay. Well, I guess uh, maybe we should uh, just get into it here. Yes, let's do it. Here we go. Today we have a couple special guests. Karen Hudis studied law at Yale Law School and economics at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, she worked in the U.S. Export-Import Bank of the U.S. from 1980 to 1985 and in the legal department of the World Bank from 1986 to 2007. Uh, she established the Non-Governmental Organization Committee of the International Law Section of the American Bar Association and the Committee on Multilateralism and the Accountability of International Organizations of the American Branch of the International Law Association. She's a whistleblower, and recently she's been making the rounds, blowing the whistle on the corruption of the world economic system, suggesting that it is in fact run by a small group of corrupt, power-hungry figures centered around the Federal Reserve. Our second guest is Dr. Edward Spencer, who is a graduate of Stanford and Yale Medical School. Uh, he's done residency in neurology at UCSF. While he had contributed to the discussion about the hidden mysteries and conspiracies in the past, he took his fascination full-time after 9-11, and uh, he began studying the Hebrews as part of his investigation. And in 2012, Ed learned that a human-like hominid had existed on this planet and that skulls had been found in diverse locations, including South Africa, Malta, Peru, and Russia. And he's now ready to talk about what he calls a new twist on the aliens. So, Karen and Dr. Ed, how are you guys doing? Thanks for being here. Woo! Thanks for the introduction. That was great. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Yeah, you guys are, uh, that was our very first Canary Cry Radio double introduction. I don't (laughs) think we've ever done that before. So, there you go. You guys are going in the record books. 70 episodes. That's great. (laughs) I know, we made it this far, so what could go wrong? So Karen, you are so far away right now. Thank you for um, being on with us all the way from the time zone that you're in. No, I'm in Tokyo. As a matter of fact, I have to confess that um, I couldn't get the day straightened out, and I stayed up at 1 o'clock yesterday, too. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Well, yep. Time zones are difficult. Time is a, uh, it's a, it's a pretty squirrely thing. And Dr. Ed, thank you for being on the show. Good to hear you, buddy. Thank you. Okay, so I think we're just going to go in the order of Gonza's introduction there. Karen, let's talk about you for a second, all right? So, really briefly, tell us, kind of in your own words, what your deal is, where you came from, and um, kind of where you're at now. Right. Um, I've been working for the last 15 years on corruption in the international financial system. Mm-hmm. And what, what that means is that I didn't understand um, just how corrupt it was. But I did know what the rules were and that uh, the World Bank is at the very heart of the international financial system. It was set up in 1944 to uh, try to reconstruct Europe after World War II. And then after that, it um, tried to help developing countries um, 
grow their economies. And also the International Monetary Fund, which is right across from the World Bank in Washington, is supposed to um, make sure that the international uh, currencies are, you know, that they don't get out of whack. So um, if something's wrong with the World Bank and the IMF, you uh -huh. better believe it's very wrong. Right. And uh, the thing about the World Bank is it's not your average um, international organization, which is to say the it's not one country, one vote. Uh, the votes are weighted in accordance with the size of the economies. And so uh, and they also have a board that are supposed to manage. So it's not um, you know, it's not like the shareholders come together um, once a year. They're right there. And the other thing that's different about the World Bank is that they issue bonds on the capital markets. So if their financial statements are uh, wrong, you have the securities laws that you can use. And so what I did was first I um, tried to do what the in-house lawyer is supposed to do, and that is I went up the corporate uh, ladder and then um, the Dutch uh, representative on the board um, wrote a letter asking for the audit committee to look into my allegations of uh, corruption. And uh, that didn't work. I'll tell you what happened. <clears throat> Paul Volcker came in, the, the French um, who was chairing the audit committee, that's Pierre Duquesne, instead of um, helping me out, he asked for an inquiry into something called the Institutional Integrity Department, which was a goon squad that would take out any staff member that reported corruption. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, Paul Volcker did a whitewash, but that didn't, that didn't work because uh, 17 of the people inside the Institutional Integrity Department complained and what's really interesting is that there's there was a group called the Government Accountability Project that liked to claim it was helping whistleblowers. Well, they took down their um, uh, blog that said that uh, the Volcker report was um, totally a whitewash. But in the meantime, a group called Common Dreams kept that thing up. So that that that'll show you whether um, GAP is really representing whistleblowers or maybe it's um, not. Maybe it's just what I've discovered because of the depth of the corruption. Uh, you find groups that are gatekeepers. They're there not to help the whistleblowers, but to entrap them and pass the, the information on. Wow, it's uh, kind of like yeah. they're, they're just faking you out. Well, what I, well, what I ultimately learned is that we've got something called state capture, which is to say that the institutions of government are working not for the people, but for the vested interests. And in this case, who is the vested interest? Uh, there's a group um, in the Federal Institute of Technology, which is the best uh, university in Europe, in Zurich, Switzerland. Three mathematicians modeled the um, capital markets. They used accurate data. And what they found out was that it's not that you've got 10 banks that are too big to fail. You've got one mega bank because what these um, this group did and their power was 10 times more than they were entitled to. It's just that they were sneaky and they didn't tell anybody. And they took the uh, directors 
and had them uh, identical. So it's called interlocking directors. Mm-hmm. So you, what you've got is you've got one mega conglomerate that is in control of 60% of the annual earnings on all the capital markets and 40% of the net worth of these companies um, through this little trick of um, you know the way they structured the control. Um, and they didn't think anybody was going to find out about it, but um, we did find out about it. That study was published in 2011, and since then, um, I've been working together with um, all kinds of whistleblowers. I, I don't know if whistleblower is exactly the right word to use. I think the best way to describe it is sting operation, because we're professionals, many of them inside the World Bank, um, others of them professionals that that understood that what what we were actually dealing with was uh, whether humanity had a future. Right. Okay. So you the you talk about this interlocking directors um, thing. Uh, is that technically illegal? Is that is that the case, or was this something where it's just uh, not conducive to a you know a quality organization helping help the world? Okay, the word illegal is um, a very good word to look at because what I ultimately found out was that the legal profession was in on the scam. The very mm. um, the the um, leaders of the bar were there to punish anybody who was going to try to straighten things out, and and the lawyers were actually in cahoots. Um, it turns out that our constitution in the United States is not in effect. It's There's been a state of emergency. The lawyers have used gobbledygook to confuse everybody. Right. Um, it turns out that uh, the courts are not doing what courts are supposed to do. It's been martial law. So, um, and the provisions of the constitution that said that when two thirds of the state legislatures asked for a constitutional convention, that's Article 5, there would be one. Well, the Congress didn't do it. The reason why? Because the banks, this cartel that I'm telling you about, in 1871, that's when they um, turned the United States into a company. They incorporated the states. And then, and then they said that the debt that was owed to them um, was going to be secured by all of the people. And they took away the people's constitution. They took away their courts. And now they've been taking away their houses through a huge scam. Um, so when you say, is this illegal? What I've, what I've recently done is um, I've been calling the American Bar Association on the carpet. And because um, one, of the, one of the terrible things about this corrupt group is they bought up all the mainstream media. And then they told people who were trying to inform everybody about what kind of corruption was going on. They called them conspiracy theorists and tinfoil hats. And, and then you couldn't get your story. because right. um, So uh, we've been mounting a campaign. We've been using the Internet. And I can also say that the alternative media, two-thirds of them are also on the take and are really mainstream media in the in the disguise of the alternate media but right. um but we've actually um exposed all of these shysters we've exposed them 
And, you know, there, there are people who have um, been trying to discredit me and the rest of the whistleblowers, and they've all of a sudden realized that um, they've just simply outed themselves because um, mm. what's, what's been um, – what's made um, – me very confident that we are going to win is the fact that the World Bank, I told you, it's in the very center of the international financial system. Well, it, it's got all kinds of neat bells and whistles because of that. You've got um, software. People are trying to sell their software in World Bank projects. And one of the um, people that was trying to do this is a political scientist named Yasek Kugler who had designed um, something called a power transition model that was actually in the Department of Defense. And um, he came to the World Bank, and uh, this was in 2004, and I modeled rule of law, and it predicted that we were going to build coalitions for the rule of law, and that's exactly what we have done. And uh, one of the whistleblowers is Elaine Colville. She's in the United Kingdom. Uh, we have gotten our testimony up on the UK Parliament website. When that happened, there was a 90 to 95% likelihood that we were going to break through, and that's exactly what we have done. And mm. we are, we are. Um, I, I was just telling Ed, um, we're just about ready to clean up and close down that banking cartel and all of the um, crooks and um, hypocrites are now exposed. It's wow. really great. You know, I want to ask a two-part question here or maybe gans why don't you ask your question first well I, I just out of curiosity you know those of us who sort of look into you know the conspiracies if you will those the ones that those of us who have been marginalized as the conspiracy theorists we run across labels you know the new world order the illuminati things like that what do those titles mean to you is there a connection with all of this Oh, there is an absolute connection. I'll tell you what it is, um, and this will, um, this will, uh, I think it'll blow your listeners' minds. We like There's to do a, that. Okay, there is a thin layer of people. Uh, you know, they people. Some people call them the one percenters, um, and this group has been identified. Um, I'm just going to walk over and get the, the book. What I'm doing here is I'm um, in one corner of the room. Uh, I'm in a guest house, and the uh, person who's on the other side of um, my room doesn't like the fact that I'm having these conversations at one in the morning. Okay. <laughs> this book is called The Elite Control Everything of Significance by Robert Galen Ross Sr., and what he did was he got the names of these groups that have been selling out everybody, selling every, everybody down the road. They themselves knew what they were doing. They knew that there was this group that was in control. Okay? So you've got the Bilderbergs. That's um, groups of elite. The, there's a Skull and Bone Society. That's at Yale. Sure. Both, both Ed and I went to Yale, but right. we were not Skull and Bonesers. Right. Okay. There's the Council on Foreign Relations. There's the Trilateral Commission. That's uh, Japan. And um, anyway, yeah. So this book says exactly who these, these people are. And they thought that we weren't going to, uh, they thought they were, you know, they had tenure for life, that nobody was going to take down this uh, network of control. But we have. 
and and the, and one of the issues that people are going to have to figure out is what do we do with these um, uh, traders? Now you okay? say you say that you took down this uh, this network of control. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that? Uh, those organizations you just mentioned are no longer in power or what? Yes, they're no longer in power. I'll tell you what's happening. There's a lawyer who, um, by the way, history is going to be totally rewritten because anybody who was good has been painted by our propaganda media as bad. Right. And anybody who's bad has been painted as good. <laughs> you, you get the picture? So, um, <laughs> So Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines, he what he did was he took the world's wealth. There's more wealth than anybody knows about. Uh, there's gold that's many, many, many times what people say is uh, the amount of gold on, on this planet. And he put this in trust for humanity. And there's um, a German banker lawyer named Wolfgang Strzok in the Philippines. And Wolfgang has the signature authority for that gold and its precious metals. It's, you know, it's art. It's all of the treasure of this world. Um, fabulous wealth. Humanity is very, very rich. And what's happening is I'm using the Bretton Woods institutions, which were given a role to supervise that this trust was going to be benefiting humanity. And we are forcing those banks to cough up the world's wealth. They didn't think anybody was going to force them to do it. They didn't think we were going to find out about it, but they were wrong. And all of the countries of the world understand, and I'm here in Japan because the Japanese are going to be the first. And we are going to be minting our gold coins. And that means that there's no country debt. There's no interest on the debt because people don't realize that our tax revenues have not gone to pay for the roads and the expenditures of our society. Right. Instead, we've been what we've been doing is we've been selling drugs for that. Uh, we've been trafficking uh, women and children. Mm -hmm. That's how we that's how we have financed our society. Right. And and the interest on the debt has gone to uh, the city of London and to the Vatican. And that's not going to happen anymore. The banks are not going to take our tax dollars. We are going to have gold currency that's going to be minted, and there's not going to be any interest on the debt. Right. And those banks, those banks owe us the money. It's not that we owe them the money. And we are going to wind those banks down. You know, I have actually come in contact with one other person who has told me about these things that you're speaking of. And you know, I didn't <laughs> this person didn't have the credentials that you did, but they were also talking about this sort of resetting of the world's uh, wealth through this trust that you're talking about. Well, many of the people are trying to have the world's gold. Not many people um, are really trying to make sure that it goes back to humanity. Right. So most of the people that you hear about it, have um, they, they're just there to try to claw it back for those crooks. Right. Well, so what is exactly does that mean, and what kind of timeline can we look for? Um, I or think, are you working towards? Um, well, I, I was just telling Ed, I'm, I'm drafting the agreement with Japan. Um, I'm in touch with the senior officials in the government. I wrote to the Council on Foreign Relations, and I told them to get ready to step down, and they better do it peacefully. 
Right. And if they don't, if they don't, they are going to jail. And how do they respond to that? Uh, uh, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, this is uh, very interesting for, for all of us. And I know you've talked about some of this before as well, but I know that the, the rabbit trail goes even deeper here. And uh, what we can touch back on some of these things as we, as we move along in the conversation. But I know, you know, part of the reason why we wanted to have you on, Karen, and, and of course, Dr. Uh, Spencer, is because of these uh, apparent homo capensis, uh, these beings that uh, allegedly live in the Vatican and all this stuff. Uh, where's the bridge from all of this to that conversation? And Karen, can you start that off and maybe um, yeah, pass I'll the ball you, I'll, to Ed? I'll give you the chronology of okay. how I got to know Ed. And I'm not saying that these critters live in the Vatican. That's not what I'm saying okay. at all. Yeah. Um, what it is, is that there was a pharaoh named Akhenaten. Yes. Egyptian. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's Abraham. And his wife, Nefertiti, that's Sarah. And the Exodus, uh, that was the Egyptians, Akhenaten and his um, entourage, were wandering around Egypt. And then they went to Canaan, and um, they had to wait until they had uh, enough forces for um, a military um, operation. And that's, that's when they ended up, um, you know, with the Promised Land. That's, that's what, and uh, so... Uh, that's what that is, and uh, if you look at the pictures of Akhenaten, you'll see that he had a strange-shaped skull, and so did his wife, and so did his kids. That's because he was not human; he was something else. And that's and I found this out because um, there's a, a producer named Edmund Drillet who was trying to get his um, movie, The Banksters Made Off with America, distributed. And uh, so he, you know, he interviewed me, and then he told me about Ed, and he told me about a couple of other people. And, um, you know, we've just been, um, <laughs> we've been trying to tell everybody what it is that Ed found out. Hmm. Okay. So what you're saying, Karen, about Ed and Ed, we'll, we'll get you in here real quick. Maybe we should actually just start with that because there are a lot of questions <laughs> with what I just heard from yeah, Karen. So um, let's just do just that. Dr. Ed, why don't you uh, give us a short intro to yourself there and then um, maybe start in on some of that uh, interesting stuff that Karen was explaining. Well, you, you uh, thank you. You gave me, uh, you gave my bio there. I am a graduate of Stanford University, studied chemistry, Yale Medical School, and residency at the University of California in San Francisco. And then I practiced neurology up in Sonoma County. Um, I uh, tell people that I didn't know anything until about 1996 when I began to uh, study hidden power. Then actually I got into that through the Shakespeare authorship question. I saw a front line and, you know, found out Shakespeare wasn't Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And just went from one, one thing to another, becoming uh, a semi-pro after 9-11. And uh, I uh, was persistent in trying to find out how things work and how, how the world is in such a mess. It's very important to, to just not study words, but to look at the, at the structure of what's going on 
and the world is a complete mess, and our brains are a complete mess, and how did it get that way? Okay. All right. Sounds good. So what, what was the stuff that um, Karen was talking about with the Akhenaten? Well, that came, uh, uh, that came sort of at the end uh, that I, I learned about Akhenaten. Actually, Karen told me about Akhenaten. Uh, what it amounted to, or what the way this came down, is that I uh, brought Eustace Mullins out to uh, the Bay Area in about the year 2007 and uh, took, or tried to get a speaking tour going with him. Uh, my friends and I took care of him, and we talked to him a lot. And uh, I read a book that he had written, uh, Mullen's New History of the Jews. And uh, what this book said was, was that uh, something in the Hebrew had taken down Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, Egypt, and Rome. And uh, this is consistent, really, with... Uh, an introduction to the protocols of Zion, and that there is uh, essentially a secret elite hiding amongst the Jews. On reviewing the uh, introduction to the protocols, um, it's very clear that most uh, Jewish people do not know about uh, what is, uh, amounts to a secret elite amongst the Hebrew who are directing the operations. Uh, most Jewish people feel that they're being uh, criticized because of anti-Semitism, a very uh, mushy concept. But in fact, you know, a lot of things are being done um, sort of behind their back. So that's how I that's how I, I got started, uh, really, in in um, in pursuing, or that's how I got back eventually to the um, the Akhenaten. Okay. What, so what, what it amounts to, is if you're looking at this, how is it possible for the Hebrew to sort of have come into existence as um, master uh, agents, ma master sub uh, agents of subversion? Right. Uh, hey, Karen, real quick, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. We can hear you typing back there. Is that oh, you? sorry about that. It <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> okay. Just uh, light fingers, please. Okay, Ed, please okay. continue. So it didn't make any sense, really, you know, that, 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 uh, that the Hebrew people are um, brighter than most <clears throat> and that they have uh, an organization known as the Mossad who has this motto, by way of subversion, thou shalt, no, by way of deception, thou shalt do war. <laughs> the question is, well, why and who? And so the whole thing doesn't make any sense. But it, it did pretty clearly show that there is a very long history to the problems of the earth and uh, the problems of humanity on the earth. And... Uh, it began, you know, on the order of 6,000 years ago. You can trace it back to approximately then. What I then discovered uh, was a book by um, Charles Hapgood entitled Maps of the Ancient Sea Kings. 
And uh, Charles found out that uh, the entire Earth had been mapped during the Ice Age. Now, none of us learned this in school. And apparently, if you know, somebody tries to teach it to you, they get into trouble. And that's not unusual if somebody tries to, to let information out they're clamped down on by the powers. Right. Well, but that this, is quite a paradigm shift. You mean the uh, maps? It's saying, yes, that the Ice Age was mapped um, during that time would be quite a paradigm shift for somebody to... Yes, and it's pretty clear from the maps um, that the sea level was 400 feet lower, um, and there was no ice cap over uh, the Queen Maudland coast of Antarctica. And there's a mile of ice there now. So uh, this is very, uh, very interesting. And, and this has actually been confirmed by the Air Force in, in New Hampshire. They were friends of uh, Charles Hapgood, who was a, a professor at the Keene State Teacher College. And they confirmed his work. Couldn't explain it. They also noted that whoever built these, uh, created these maps, knew spherical trigonometry. So this is, is a paradigm shift, as you might say. Sure. Now, I don't think uh, now that the Air Force would be allowed to do that. This was, people were more innocent at that time, and somehow or other, this contact took place, and that information, they exchanged information. I think that would be very difficult. Okay, so you're current. saying that the, where did these maps come from? How did the people get to know about them? Well, uh, this is a Piri Rias map. Uh, the maps are considered to be um, copies of copies of copies. Uh, Piri Rias was a Turkish admiral who had found the maps and um, was using them. Someone in the Turkish Navy, I believe it was, brought the map to Washington, D.C., um, and there, uh, a friend uh, or a, a colleague, or at least somebody who knew Charles Hapgood, uh, saw it and noted that this was an extraordinary find. And uh, it sort of began from there. They started exploring and looking around. Um, Hapgood went to the um, Library of Congress and went through all the maps and found, and found a number of maps that shouldn't be there. There's, Antarctica was mapped uh, in one of these maps, which were of, of, of circa 1531 about. And of course, we didn't discover Antarctica until 1818. So that's how that got going. And, and uh, Hapgood studied the maps, and he used his students to help him. And this is you know, maybe the way education should be because they, they worked as a group uh, studying these maps, and then Habgood wrote, um, wrote his book. Um, he was considered, Habgood was considered sort of a strange character at Keene State University, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's pretty clear why, because he, he was doing the right thing. So, but this, this then gave a time frame, they expanded the time frame remarkably. Because the last ice age lasted on the order of uh, uh, 100,000 years. Then about, I think, 17,000 years ago, 
uh, a global meltdown began, and uh, that was quite an uproar for the Earth. That lasted about 10,000 years, and then things quieted down on the order of 7,000 years ago. Uh, during the global meltdown, uh, there were enormous floods all over the place. And a good example of this is the Scablands up in uh, Washington State. Um, this, I think, Lake Missoula is uh, in eastern Washington and adjacent states. This is an ice age uh, lake, ice, uh, ice lake um, dammed by, uh, by ice, by the glaciers. And uh, numerous times, uh, the ice dams failed, and um, <clears throat> there were enormous floods that rushed down over the Scablands, scouring the earth out and down the Columbia, Columbia River Gorge, or over the Columbia River Gorge. And these, uh, these floods are described as 500 cubic miles of water uh, rushing out in 24 hours. Uh, I'm sorry, 48 hours. And the... Um, at that time, the future site of Portland was under 400 feet of water. And of course, this, these were not the only glacier, not the only ice lake that was uh, doing this. And so there were enormous floods uh, all around the world. And they were described as, you know, uh, this Plato describes them um, as coming up from the ocean, from um, the end that the very rich people and uh, the intellectuals by the sea were swept away, and the only survivors were the rude shepherds up in the, up in the mountains. There were also um, tremendous volcanic activity because of the incredible weight of the glaciers uh, being uh, removed from the continents. And I think it's called isostatic uh, action or forces move the... the uh, the continents up, and there was enormous volcanic activity. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> we're this sort of fits into this, you know, we have to take care of the earth. We can't, you know, they, they check to make sure you're not moving gravel. This, I mean, this is actually happens up in, in Northern California. They're, they're going around uh, looking at the various ranchers and seeing what they're doing. You know, as if, as if we can control the whole thing. But, but in the Ice Age, it was this incredible destruction and uproar as, or, right. and, and the global meltdown. Right. Okay, so we've got the sort of Jewish elite that you mentioned. We've got a, a Turkish guy who found Ice Age maps. And then we've got the Ice Age melting. How does this all fit together, and where do we go from here? Well, we know the world is a complete mess. Mm. Um, and the, the um, sort of the, the references I use as standards for this, statements by John Kennedy, uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and um, Carl Jaspers. Right. You know, the fact that the earth is the, the world, or our societies are, are run by conspiracy. And it's a very subtle, uh, relentless uh, conspiracy, and it's incredibly nasty. So how did it, so how did it get that way? Uh, well, it's, it's clear that 
that the Hebrews are involved in some way in this from the writings of numerous people, uh, the, um, uh, the synagogue of Satan, uh, what Hustis Mullins and others have written, that something is going on there. And then that, that we also have secret societies uh, out there, Skull and Bones, the Masons, the Knights of Malta, who knows? That everything is essentially a lie. And the question is, how and why would it be that way? And, and how did it get going? What, what the Ice Age maps showed is that <clears throat> we can't easily define the beginning of this. That it certainly uh, can have been going on more than 6,000 years. That it can have been going on you know, many tens of thousands of years. And this then begins to make more sense in that that this great mess in which um, everyone <clears throat> is sort of pushed to do the wrong thing. A little bit. Maybe not a lot, but you just right. do a little bit wrong. And yeah. then it adds up. And, you know, a billion, a billion errors adds up. Everyone right. drills, drills a little hole in the bottom of the ship, and pretty soon it sinks. And so it, it made sense that this all flowed uh, from a very long time back. So then the question is, well, who did it? Who could have organized this over these many thousands of years? Was there, was there a, you know, a secret society of men doing this? Well, I mean, where is the continuity? And that's not obvious at all from, <clears throat> from what we know there's a degree of continuity with the secret societies, but, you know, we're talking about continuity of 20, 30,000 years. Okay. So the, ne the next book that came along, the next bit of information, uh, was this book by um, uh, Lynch and Granger, uh, Gary Lynch, Richard Granger, uh, neuroscientist, who wrote this book, Big Brain. And uh, big, this is sort of, they talked about the future of human intelligence, but then they started with uh, Homo Capensis. And Homo capensis uh, was found in Boskop, South Africa, in about 1913. And a couple of um, workers found this fragment of a skull in a ditch, and they thought it was rather strange, and they uh, fortunately took it to um, a, a museum nearby, and when it was recognized as a remarkable find and uh, studied, and what they found at that point was that it was like a human skull, only the um, brain cavity was approximately 30% larger. Right. And uh, that's Homo capensis, or the Boskop man. And fortunately, very fortunately, a renowned uh, paleontologist by the name of Robert Broom studied this... Um, Skull. He, I think he actually went to South Africa to do it. And so he did a formal paper, a very good uh, description of it all. And, and this um, entity, or this being, <laughs> this hominid, I guess, this uh, Homo capensis, had this large, very large head, had a very massive jaw with large canines and incisors. 
And this is significant because many reports, they'll talk about something like this, and they will give it a tiny jaw. You know, the gray has this tiny little jaw. I couldn't eat a blueberry without, assist, without assistance, but this homo defensus had, you know, a massive jaw with these very uh, powerful um, anterior teeth, ripping teeth. Uh, something curious happened then with homo capensis. This was naturally um, a finding that really excited uh, the paleontologists, and British uh, paleontology got very excited about this. And, uh, but then something came along uh, which was more, even more exciting. It wasn't uh, all those many thousands of miles away in um, South Africa, and that was a Piltdown man. And so that completely uh, took away the attention. It shifted the attention away from Homo capensis. And um, everybody, you know, went wild over the Piltdown man, who turned out to be a total hoax. <laughs> so that's sort of interesting. Right. The, the yeah. Homo capensis is find, uh, found, and then a hoax, hoax uh, stops it. There's also more to the Homo capensis story. And um, this is that um, he's kind of hard to find. I'll, 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 I'll actually send you the, um, um, the paper, uh, the, the broom paper. Um, but, but so that, that's a very, a very substantial piece of work. You know, and it's one of many uh, studies that broom carried out, so he can't be ignored easily. So if you can't ignore him, what do you do? You hide him. So, so there's a book, Cremo's book, uh, Forbidden uh, Archaeology, I believe it is. And uh, so there's a lot of work by um, Robert Broom in there, but this, this paper, 1919 paper on Homo capensis, isn't there. And then there was another book that has recently been published, which is supposed to be the total comprehensive book on uh, hominid uh, paleontology. Okay. And it's not there. There are other broom papers there, but, but this paper, which <laughs> one might really consider... Hold on a second. We've got something going on somewhere. Gons, is that you or is that with no, Karen? Uh, I don't know. It sounds like paper or something in the background. Yeah. Karen, are you there? I'm there, but I'm not doing anything. Not my fault. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Well, was, was that on your side there, Ed? No. Huh. Okay. That always happens when we try and do this. Yeah, we need we need the <laughs> Mr. NSA man. If you could please mute your microphone while you're listening in, you're yeah. really being an interruption. Okay, well, let's continue. Okay, so we've got the uh, elite elite Jews. We've got the Ice Age, and now we've got archaeology conspiracy hiding Homo compensis. Where do we right. go from and then, there? Then we have uh, Lynch and Granger, these uh, gentlemen who have done, these neuroscientists who have done very good work, who did um, calculated what might be described as an IQ. That's the words they use, the sort of brain power of Homo capensis with a brain uh, 30% larger. And they calculated the, um, the increase in the association area based on the increase in size. And they came up with an average IQ of 149, 
with um, 10 to 15 percent of the population uh, being at 180 or more. So immediately, <laughs> you you have a candidate for uh, Earth Mapper, I would think. You know okay. that, that, that this that this that this species uh, mapped the Earth. So there we we so we have a, a candidate uh, for Earth Mapper, right? With Homo capensis, with with a, a large brain hominid, and um, then there's nobody else coming forward. <laughs> there's no there's no human society that we we can uh, uh, point to that mapped the entire Earth um, during the Ice Age. Uh, also, it turns out that there um, are underwater megalithic structures uh, around the world uh, that, that, you know, the sea level rose 400 feet, but these structures are there. And I think Yamaguni, Japan, was the first one that was found. And these are interesting in that, you know, uh, the pros, the establishment scientists look at these things and they say, oh, the ocean did it, and this and that, you know. The All ocean right. can cut steps into the concrete or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever they do. Like, this is always that. So we know that a lot was going on uh, during the Ice Age. And uh, we know that this could, um, that from the standpoint of the uh, Hebrew elite, um, which could easily have been the training grounds for, for the Vatican and everything else, um, you know, can't have done it, can't have just suddenly appeared and have had this extraordinary knowledge and, and proficiency, and they, they really are uh, pros. So it looks like it came from the Ice Age, and it looks like <clears throat> that this large brain hominid, who is, is way smart, or at least has a powerful brain, we can't really say it has an, an, a human IQ, but it really has a powerful brain, can be responsible for this. Now, um, then we find uh, that there's, you know, there's more, you know, weight, there's more. Um, there, there are also, um, beyond Homo capensis, there is a conehead type uh, hominid. And now this, the conehead has not been uh, formally studied by anyone like Robert Broom, but a fellow by the name of Brian Foster who has hidden Inca tours, has done tremendous work on this and has found the skulls in a little um, uh, museum in Ica, Peru. And this is my Paracas, Peru. And these, these skulls, these cone heads, are most impressive. And then some of them even have uh, tags of, of residual skin and this auburn red hair. Right. And, and then... Um, there was this article where this website it has uh, uh, much information. Okay, it's, this website is, has been taken down. Uh, I, I'll, I have it in this paper, and I'll, I'll send it to you. But it's gone now. Well, that's evidence you know, that something's going on. You know, it, when, just when everyone gets interested, it goes away. Yeah, and, and just as a, a side <laughs> note, Brian Forrester... Uh, worked with one of our colleagues, Ellie Marzuli, who was down in Peru, uh, you know, digging up those 
cone head skulls. So mm-hmm. we've uh, we've heard about them, and uh, we, we'll touch on some of um, I guess the differences in worldview of, of you know perhaps what's going on. But uh, go ahead and please continue. Okay, so Brian does tremendous work. If I get pronouncing his his name right, and he he avoids uh, establishment funding because he knows that's the kiss of death. Uh, <laughs> right. That's getting you know putting duct tape on your mouth. Um, so then we have another we have another uh, skull. So this one I can't remember the numbers on this one, but I think the brain is bigger than Homo capensis, and it's a true cone head. Uh, it's, instead of having two parietal plates, it has um, one right. parietal plate. The orbits are about twenty percent larger, and it has. Um, these occipital frame and really high in the occipital region. This is not human. <laughs> you can tell this pretty clearly by looking. Then it has uh, these large, heavy jaw, large incisors and canines, and few or no molars, which means that it eats meat. You know, that it's, it doesn't have molars to chew its veggies. Right. So that's what we've got so we, with, a, with a very powerful brain. And we have uh, these skulls all over. And so naturally, you would expect the, uh, the DNA specialists, the uh, geneticists, to jump on this. But they don't. They ignore it completely. I mean, you look at one of these things that's got skin and hair on it, and, you know, they go have coffee or maybe it's tea. I mean... <laughs> Uh, I, I sent a letter to uh, Ryan Sykes at Oxford, um, and, you know, of course I never heard back. I sent him pictures. Who knows? I mean, so it's very strange. This is, this is the phenomenon of, of uh, the academic brain, the academic mind. Right. Uh, um, which is, you know, something we're going to have to uh, study in, in great detail, because the university, as far as I can tell, is like it's a big black box uh, full of little bright lights, each one in a little black chamber. And, you know, <laughs> the brilliance does not communicate. You see a crack here and there and a light shines out. Right. And certainly uh, Lynch and Granger are, are shining lights amongst the, this blackness. Well, so we have, two, we have at least two types. We have two species. Right. One formally studied with just a you know a big pumpkin head, and apparently uh, there's a lot of these uh, skulls shaped skulls are have been molded uh, by trephining and uh, mo- uh, and molding the skull in uh, in infancy. It's like uh, I think one of the references uh, in this web marvelous website that disappeared mysteriously. <laughs> Right. Is that, is that, you know, they, they just, <laughs> it was a long time ago, but they were really good at neurosurgery. Right. Like every, every mama could, could take this uh, pumpkin head and turn it into a, a swept back, uh, more fashionable skull. Yeah, our but listeners then, will remember in an episode with L.A. Marzulli, he uh, had mentioned a lot of this. So a lot of the... Uh, more scientific names of bones and things like that. Surprisingly, a lot of you out there uh, will remember what those are. So, please continue. So, we have two, we have two species. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, maybe there's more. I, I don't know. 
Sure. Uh, but, but certainly there's, there's homo capensis and there's the, uh, the conehead monoparietal plate right. <clears throat> variety. And we know that they are very, very bright, at least in some way. Right. You know, uh, we know that they know mathematics, like spherical trigonometry during the Ice Age, and uh, that they could do a lot of, lot of things. Now, the, the maps are not charts. They don't show depths uh, of oceans. Mm-hmm. They're not like something taken from space. They're not like modern uh, maps or, or charts at all. At least okay. uh, they've either come down to us, and you know that you can see some errors. One of them is the uh, you can see that, that they they mistook made a mistake regarding uh, uh, and, and and mapping of Antarctica of the uh, Arctic Circle and the I think the 80th parallel. And so Antarctica is much larger, but if you make that correction, it shrinks down. So there are maps of stuff that we shouldn't shouldn't be there, but they are. But they're not like something came from outer space and right. took a picture. You know, this is important because everything is, you know, everything is in shifted. The, the extraterrestrials, the UFOs, all, which are basically fog, uh, smoke and mirrors to cover up what is really here. You know, what we, we know unequivocally is here because they left their skulls all over the place. Um, well, do you have any questions at this point while I re- reorganize myself? Well, I see, yeah, I see uh, you're giving us a lot of puzzle pieces here, and they're starting to come together a little bit here. We, we have established that your theory is that there are a group of hyper-smart pre-human um, species. Why are you that, saying pre, Basil? <laughs> I believe that's the... Um, that's the term that he used very, uh, at the beginning of this talk. Let, let me let me jump in for a minute, okay? Sure, and, please and do. And try to tie this together, um, okay? Because it is really like putting a puzzle together, and yeah. so um, there's a, a UK lawyer who I've been dealing with for thirty years. I believe he's with the uh, UK intelligence service, and I was telling him. Um, recently about, um, you know, the, uh, the fact that we believe there's this homo capensis and also this big brain species. Sure. And, and so um, this 1% group of humans, uh, some of them know and are dealing with these um, beings. And so what I heard from this person is that um, the um, they like this this um, group likes to beat women, and they go to the BDSM watering holes to hang out and have fun. Right. All right. Now this guy was not lying. I know him. I was. Well, I didn't expect that he was going to be that frank. Okay. You know, I want to just jump in because obviously, you know, there is a little difference of worldview. I think there's a lot of interesting things that are that you guys bring up. And, and obviously, you know, none of us has an exact clear answer of what our history is and stuff like that. And I agree largely. This is not history. This well, is not history. No, I'm, I'm talking this is, about. This is what's going on. No, I, This is I, what's I, going on today. Okay. This is real. Right. Right. So what I'm saying is with, with the, the things that Ed brought up with the Ice Age and everything else leading up to today. I agree that there is a lot of cover-up going on, and 
you know, there's there's a lot of misdirection and this deception. Is not a myth. No, no, no. This is not a myth. I said misdirection. This is absolutely not a myth. No, no. I, I said misdirection, not myth. Misdirection as in cover-up and, and hiding the truth, essentially. So, Look, if truth is not comfortable, you have to work on it until it is comfortable. You're sure, not right. going to undo truth. Sure. No, I, I totally agree with you. And so what I want to get to, though, is Dr. Ed had mentioned this idea of the Hebrews being sort of responsible for starting this whole underground thing, you know, keeping all of this information hidden. Um, no, no, that's not correct. Okay, go ahead. What, what, what was the, Dr. Ed, do you want to come in and, and sort of... Um, well, I'm trying to, to well, let's, let's put it this way. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying, the way this all came together in my mind, was that there's a history of something going on. The history is not clear, but there's been a subversion going on for at least 6,000 years. Right. And we can find that there could well be a <clears throat> origins of the subversion during the Ice Age. You know, okay. that makes more sense than as it in suddenly Homo, appeared. As in Homo Capensis was alive during the Ice Age, yeah. did, did the mapping of the um, Ice Age planet uh, survive the Ice Age and has continued to subvert and carry out their agenda in the modern world. Okay, let's right. talk a little bit about what the agenda might be, because we can look at the financial system. The agenda is control. Okay. They are using the international uh, financial system, charging interest on countries' debt to maintain control. What they're doing with the currencies is they're not allowing people to choose their currencies. They have laws that are legal tender laws. They say, if you don't use our currency, you're not allowed to use any other currency. Okay, so they're maintaining control. Now, let's shift to religion, and this is the point that I was about to make. Okay. Um, you have got um, maintaining control over humanity's thought processes mm -hmm. because, and also um, divide and conquer You've got major religions that are um, fighting each other. You've got the Muslims being, um, uh, we're, we're being told that they're um, bad people. And so it, this, is, this is not so much that, uh, and you've got the Vatican and the Jesuits that are killing our presidents. So it's not, it, it's, um, it's an equal opportunity, bad vibe. Right for sure. for the human spirituality instead of instead of um, our our um, rabbis and priests and um, clergy are somehow um, they're they've got some kind of agendas there. How is that? And if you see that that there's a, a control um, slant in our finances it's even worse in our religions okay so homo compensis in the modern day are in control or uh, is somehow influencing the economic situation through i'm assuming the world bank they're not influencing okay no it's not the world bank it's the bank for international settlement got it those are those are the central bankers Okay. And they have they have infiltrated the World Bank and they've perverted it. Got it. And, and it's it's done in a very 
uh, hidden way. Uh, and what they've also done is they've taken the military and they've used their secret societies, the Knights of Malta, to get uh, very key positions so that those um, senior officials are betraying our military might. Right. Um, there was a town hall meeting with Martin Dempsey, who's the chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I asked him why the military didn't want to strengthen the dollar and do what John F. Kennedy was doing. Uh, John F. Kennedy, 10 days before his assassination, was going to take back the right to um, currency right. Uh, being issued for the Treasury Department so we wouldn't have to pay interest to the Federal Reserve. And when you pay interest to the Federal Reserve, that means that your money is going to the city of London and it's going to the Vatican. Right. And John F. Kennedy... And, and also Ronald Reagan was going to do that. That's why Hinckley shot him. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was he uh, Reagan was not taken to the hospital. Um, he had to promise that he would do Rome's agenda. And then after that, he recognized the Vatican. The Vatican was not recognized after they uh, murdered uh, Lincoln. Okay, so um, this is this is the religions are. are um, and not all of them. Obviously, you've got uh, good clergymen, but um, there's rot at the top. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, and we largely agree with that sentiment. I'm just curious because, you know, I, I know you guys don't see, you know, the scriptures as something that is truthful. You know, I, I believe you, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm, you know, putting words in your mouth. But do you guys see something like, you know the the New Testament as something that is totally a control mechanism. Is, is that something no, you guys believe? No, of course it's not. What you have is you've got real prophets, and there's been an editing job. The King James version was shortened, and before that, with the Nicaean Council, they threw away all of the all of the subversive stuff that they didn't like. They edited out. Sure, I I, I disagree with you on that point. Um, that we have. The written documents of what was, you know, what was declared at the Nicene Council and um, some of that. No, you don't. I, no, you, they, we have, they were burned. They were burned. Well, we the, can the look really back on the history. Ones, no, the really subversive ones were burned. They were burned. There were 300 books that were burned. So you're saying that because that, you know, there is a control layer on, on top of this that we can't trust certain aspects, let's say, of the New Testament. Is that... I'm saying that you have been manipulated with your spirituality for a purpose so that you could have a little handle and be manipulated. And if you don't want to admit it, you don't have to admit it, but that is the fact. That okay. is the truth. And in what way has this manipulation aided in the agenda of uh, Homo Capensis? Like, what could have been in as an allegedly burned copy of uh, an excluded book of the Bible that would cause some trouble for their agenda? I am not going to sit and speculate about what was burned. How would I know? I well, do I'm, know I'm, that it was burned. Here's, here's where I'm going. You say that things were excluded from the New Testament in order to protect the agenda of Homo Capensis. Now, That's correct. My, yes, and I think it's a legitimate question for me to ask, what sort of thing would this be? It's a very general statement. And so, even just in your words, I would like to hear what 
the possible, you know, reason would that would be for that? Well, I mean, there are things that are very, um, very straightforward that that you you can see. The the rapture is something that never existed, and then all of a sudden was put in there. Okay, that was added. When something's added, it's very easy to identify. And uh, and some of the people have been talking about how um, with UFOs, which may not be ET, uh, extraterrestrial, right. um, that you could stage something and make people frightened and think that something um, had happened that was spiritual when it was really just a hoax. And the word rapture is allowing people to, to be bamboozled and a hoax to be committed. And we do know that people have been um, admitting that that was an agenda item. And I can Who, tell you... Who's, that, it, who's admitting that? Um, I can give you um, the name of this guy, if, if you hold on for a second. Okay. Um, but um, in addition to that, um, you have technology that um, is uh, able to hypnotize people remotely. And so a lot of the um, a lot of the experiences that people say they had may simply be um, the fact that they were hypnotized. I can tell you that there was a fellow on the internet who um, claimed that he was the risen Jesus Christ, right. and he wanted he wanted to include my name in his video, and he was very insulted that I would not allow him to do that, and I told him that that was blasphemous. Right. So sure. they they are they are absolutely using um, using uh, people's religious feeling to um, bamboozle them. Uh, one of the other things is um, when the um, you've got this confession uh, in in uh, the the clergy that was something that um, now of course can spy on people, but before they had that, that would be a way to maintain control. Uh, there are all kinds of things that maintain control sure. right. that, that were deliberately put there to maintain control. Sure. Well, I mean, it's just interesting to me that there are so many passages that talk about, don't let anyone deceive you. Uh, let no one deceive you. There's a lot of that going on in the New Testament, you know, in Ephesians, Second Thessalonians, and of course, Revelation and stuff like that. Are you coming from a... Uh, I guess you can say like a reductionist materialistic worldview where, where you know, do, do you believe that there are supernatural agencies that could be, I guess the homo compensis explanation is very much rooted in that sort of, um, you know, standard Darwinian evolution uh, concept. No. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating here, but what, what is your... No. I, be I'm, I believe in spirituality. I believe in the prophets. Um, I have... Um, you know, I, I'm not supposed to sit here and witness, but um, I, I absolutely do believe that um, that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Okay, but it's not in the way that 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 we believe. I don't think it's. Um, I think it's it's to tell everybody that they themselves, if they try very hard to um, connect with their spirituality, can do wonderful things. Well, I wouldn't quite agree with that particular version of the gospel, but, you know, for example, there's um, a topic that we haven't touched on really that, uh, from the biblical perspective, there's um, a passage in Genesis 6 
that talks about you know who are labeled the sons of God who came unto the daughters of men and they bore oh, children. Oh, that whole business about Nephilim is garbage and trash. It is wrong. <laughs> it is stupid. <laughs> okay, why do you say that? Because it's a way of uh, taking away the focus on the homocapensis that are here. Uh huh. Sure. Uh, from my perspective, it seems more like it's revealing some of those things, not so much covering it up. No, yeah, no, it's, because it's it's saying that this is that the homocapensis are coming from female Homo sapiens, and they are not. If if for some reason it was possible to have um, uh, a child from a mating with a homocapensis, that would not have been fertile because the DNA is too different. So, just, like, just like mules are not able to have um, offspring. They're, seem, they're infertile. It seems to me that there are some very slight differences between your uh, theory of the Homo Compensis and the theory of the Nephilim. No, the only... you are wrong. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> I'm you not are putting trying words to be, in your mouth. You are, trying to, you are trying to say that everything in the Bible has to be true, and I'm trying, to tell you, I'm trying to tell you that that is trash. Excuse me, That Karen. business about Nephilim is trash. Okay, Karen, I'm trying to make a comparison between what you say about Homo Compensis and what many believe about the Nephilim. And that but I'm is telling you, you that that is incorrect. You're putting words I, in my mouth. I'm not putting any words in your mouth. I'm okay. simply making Nephilim my own comparison. Have nothing, Nephilim have nothing whatsoever to do with Homo Compensis. Nothing at all. Well, I will say that our colleague and friend Elia Marzulli has spent a lot of times, a lot of time uh, studying the skulls, and actually has many samples of the skulls, and has devoted yes, he may his have career. That. He, but and his career he is makes, wrong. And, his career is wrong. And he makes. He's wrong. The point. Okay, uh, it sounds like you're not open to even listening. To, That's uh, correct. What we I'm have not. To I don't. I don't want people to associate me with the idea that Nephilim have anything whatsoever to do with homocapensis. I am categorically Ex saying that that is incorrect. Or that the skulls that are being compared to both of these theories are the same skulls. I am trying to tell you that I do not want to participate further, and it's kind of late for me, so I've lost my patience. I'm. I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm out of here. Good night. Thank you, Karen, for your time. Good night. Well, what's happening? <laughs> well, if you'd like to continue, we are very open well, to Well, I will continue. continue, just I will, I will wrap it up. Okay, First sounds all, good. I, I put together a theory. That this, this essentially is a theory that uh, big brain hominids are in control. Uh huh. And, uh, and to do this, I had to deal with the, uh, with the Hebrews. But, you know, you're not supposed to actually do anything with the Jews. You're not even supposed to use the word, really. You know, everything is anti-Semitism. But to actually study the stuff, you have to, you know, be relentless in, in going through it. Sure. And so the question is, <clears throat> so you have a theory, and if you have a theory, you should be able to make a prediction on it. And so the prediction I would make of what I've known that there had to be a contact somewhere with the uh, Jewish population, with the Jewish elite, really, with 
the big brain uh, hominids, probably the cone heads. So you look back, and all of a sudden, what you find is Akhenaten. So it's, you know, a, a, an amazing contact. That would be uh, anticipated, that there would be a contact, and then it turns out that it's Akhenaten. And, and so that opens up uh, a, lot of, a lot of avenues for study. You know, why that Akhenaten was busy, you know, trying to just doing his best to destroy Egypt. Right. Now, before we go off that topic, where where's the evidence as far as this, uh, you know, because I've heard of the Moses-Akhenaten comparison. And, you know, there's several authors and several books that have come out in the last, I'd say, you know, 25 years or so that discuss this possibility. What do you consider as the strongest piece of evidence that would suggest either from the um, you know from the biblical record or from the Egyptian record, whichever you know whichever is the best example uh, that that of that being true. Well, there are there are several books on this, and um, I don't have them right. If I can come up with them, the one by two rabbis that uh, have um, Akhenaten being uh, Abraham, mm -hmm. and then there's another book that has uh, Akhenaten being uh, Moses. I don't know if there's any significant, you know, difference that makes a difference from, from my standpoint because it means that a large brain hominid was right there in, in the, the organization of the Jews. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so that, that anticipated, that predicted event actually took place. Okay. Uh, at least on the basis of several books. Then, of course, then there's there's what was Akhenaten all about. Um, they've been <clears throat> much of the material, uh, art, structures, whatever, have been destroyed. And uh, the uh, thought was, well, this is because Akhenaten was so very unpopular with the Egyptians. But I think another possibility is that they're attempting, attempting to destroy evidence of what Akhenaten really, really was and, and what he did. So, um, <clears throat> then, um, you know, then, they, then, then there's legitimacy of if where I am, you know, something started in the Ice Age and then it came down. And... Uh, Everything is done to confuse our mind. You could say that, you know, we live in a matrix of total lies. If, if the, the uh, what William Casey said, if, you know, the CIA's work will be done when everything the American people believe is false. I mean, <laughs> what, a, you know, what was he to do that? So there's nothing but lies everywhere. So where do the lies start? Well, if we go back to Noah and the flood, uh, if you look at the Noah story and the great biblical flood, what that says is you, you don't need to look back beyond this point. And, you know, nothing to see there, folks. This, this great ice age meltdown is not something you need to pay any attention to. So it looks like the, the flood story could be designed to prevent examination of what came before. This is very much like the, uh, the UFOs and the ETs uh, sort of block looking at, at other options. Uh, what, <clears throat> so, you know, the question is how much of the Bible is 
been written simply to confuse us. Now, now I, I've, what I was talking about, what I've called is, is harsh philosophy, which is, you know, the, the, what you really want to learn at this point in our history is what it's going to take to survive, to keep from going extinct. And uh, because there's, there are real forces there to do this. Because the motive here of, of all of this is that these big brain hominids control the Earth during the Ice Age. They controlled us. And they, they, they overtly controlled us. They weren't hiding in, under, in tunnels made by the Air Force like maybe they are now. Right. And um, <clears throat> they want to uh, have overt control again. That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you say that. And I, I actually just finished reading Our Occulted History, uh, written by um, Jim Mars. And, you know, he, he really looks at some of these issues in, um, and looks at the Sumerian accounts, uh, you know, the Enuma Elish and the Atrahasis and, and, you know, a lot of the earliest uh, cuneiforms and, you know, written accounts that we do have. And, of course, he ties it to this idea of a potential, you know, ancient alien, ancient astronaut connection. But, you know, with the Ice Age, you know, I guess the question is, we know that established academia, the established institution of, you know, the scholarship, they have a certain agenda. They have a certain, you know, worldview that they want to promote, whether it's, it's to cover up or it's, you know, I think a lot of it is tied to, to money and what gets funded, you know, and, and, you know, who knows what the ultimate agenda is. But one of the things that Jim Mars brings up in his book is that, there's a possibility that even this idea that the Ice Age was so many thousands of years, even that could uh, potentially be part of the whole, you know, system of lies, so to speak, because, you know, it would serve the established notion of uh, gradualism, that things happen gradually and, you know, and all this, as opposed to a possibility of, you know, a catastrophe that happened, which the biblical flood may reflect and, and other, you know, the flood is something that a lot of, uh, you know, cultures across the world talk about. So it seems like it was something either catastrophic or very quick that happened that really changed uh, our geography and just the, uh, our world, you know, basically. So what do you say to some of that, some of those well, theories as, uh, you know, that the ice age wasn't as long or that, um, you know, something very catastrophic happened like a flood that changed uh, the course of history. Oh, there's no question that there were catastrophic things happening. There were floods. And, uh, you know, every, every culture on Earth, apparently, even the Aborigines have a flood uh, history or, or what, what, what would be the correct word, uh, legend. Account. Yeah, legend, yeah. Yeah. But we have a very good reason to believe that, you know, these floods were the result of uh, melting of the enormous uh, glaciers that raised sea level of 400 feet. So, you know, we don't need a biblical flood, so to speak, to, to explain these legends. The, the, from, if one is going to be sort of hard-headed about it, the, the glacial meltdown is the best uh, explanation. Um, <clears throat> Then, uh, 
you know, the whole history of the Jews looks like it uh, is highly suspect, that is to say, inaccurate. And the Jewish scholars are, have done this themselves, of doing very good work on, on, you know, finding out what's really going on, what really, what really took place, what really didn't take place. But as I'm saying, my, my point of view is, is, is what I would call harsh philosophy, is what does it take to survive? You, there's only, you can only do so much in your head over a period of time. You, don't want, to, you want to avoid input overload, and that's what right. we're subjected to continuously. Sure. Now, if these homo capensis, if they are in control and they're, they've been influencing you know, uh, political affairs, financial affairs, are they just, you know, are they, uh, do they not have the same authority that they used to? I'm, you know, because I'm wondering if they really wanted to destroy humanity, uh, couldn't they have done it much, much sooner? And then where did well, we come from? You know, where, where, what, we're, why did they hit us? Pets. We're their pets, you know, where they, they run us, they, they, we're, the, we're the herd, you know, the word goyam, or go, you know, it, it fits right in. So, um, we should get back actually to uh, to what what happened in Southern Africa, and and this great area that is not studied. Um, the um, this is Adam's calendar and uh, the great stone ruins. There's there are huge stone ruins in in Southern Africa, and Michael Tellinger uh, has produced his marvelous book. Uh, temple of the African Gods. Uh, <clears throat> the main virtue, I think, being these uh, numerous uh, fine photographs. And what you have uh, here are a lot of structures which are stone silos. They're crude stone silos. The, the stones piled on top of each other. A lot of work went into piling up these stones. And these silos have no doors or windows. And the argument is put forward, well, the Anunnaki or whoever, you know, they have created an energy system uh, for getting energy out of the earth, out of this incredibly primitive piles of rocks. I think that it's more likely that these uh, stone silos were uh, plastered over with mud or something at that point, and we were used as confinement cells for two-legged chattel. Now, what were those two-legged things? I, I think that probably at some point they were homo sapiens. Whether there were other forms of hominids in there, who, who, can, who can say? Now, the interesting thing is this, this is close to Boscop where this uh, uh, homo capensis was found. Uh, there's evidence nearby that homo capensis uh, or at least the big brain uh, of what it was, was dominant over humans. Because uh, <clears throat> at this one site, uh, they found the human skeletons just casually thrown into the ground, and there was an elaborate tomb with a um, normal skeleton with a huge head uh, facing the rising, sun, the rising sun. And I think that's clear evidence that he was in charge and we weren't. And if you go to Paracas, Peru, it's much the same. The Coneheads had a, um, a burial situation in which they were wearing fine robes and, and in a special location. 
whereas the humans were very much less uh, dignified in, in, uh, in, their, uh, in their internment. I think there's clear evidence uh, that, that the uh, big brains were in charge. And uh, if you go into to, to this, the South African thing, um, the uh, Adam's calendar uh, is made up of these stones, very crude stones that have been piled up. No artistic talent going on in there at all, but they've mapped out the heavens, the Orions, and they're plotting uh, the solstice and uh, that sort of phenomenon. And then there are, as apparently uh, a um, small pyramid there uh, that is on the same line of longitude, longitude as the Great Pyramid in Giza. So it's, it all kind of comes together that um, stuff started in, in uh, southern Africa and spread out. And then you have the, the maps of mitochondrial Eve, uh, which is uh, supposedly the the uh, the pathway of uh, of humanity, and this all comes up out of the same place, out of this uh, approximate area of Boscop and and uh, the stone ruins. So uh, what it's looking to me like at this point is that the, this uh, southern area. Um, near Boscop, north of Boscop, and it's, I guess it's in the Transvaal and the Orange, Orange uh, State, if that's what it's called, could easily be the, the crucible of the development of, uh, of Homo sapiens, of humanity. And our defining characteristics are um, really, uh, you know, the, 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 the behaviors that make us worthwhile. Empathy, compassion, ethics, adherence to the golden rule. Um, this, is, this is really what humanity is all about. But if you look at the world, it's, and, and these statements by uh, Kennedy, um, J. Edgar Hoover, and uh, uh, Carl Jaspers, but this is totally the reverse of what we have. Everything is, is psychopathic. There's a fabulous book. There are two fabulous books which I think put this together. One is uh, uh, Political Ponderology by Andrew Lobachowski. Uh, I mean, butcher his name. He's, he's from Poland. But it basically, uh, they studied there in Poland uh, the place of psychopathy in power. And, and it's that essentially we're run by psychopaths. If you know, the, if you really start looking at the people who are in charge, they're devoid of uh, any uh, respect for the golden rule, for empathy, uh, honesty, whatever. You know, they're just we live in a matrix of lies. And this book, uh, clinical, uh, or rather, political ponderology. You know, it goes into detail. It's a very hard book. Um, and, you know, psychopathy is something we really should study in great detail, you know, the, because we're in a position to be able to do so with the, with the technology available. But we're essentially run by psychopaths. Right. Corporations are essentially psychopaths, you know, on paper. And then when you encounter 
a lot of the men giving orders, they're, they're psychopaths. Uh, and then there's this other book, <clears throat> Jeff Schmidt, on um, disciplined minds, on how um, everyone starts out with great intentions and then it just gets beaten down into this mush right. that uh, follows, follows the orders. All of this took a huge amount of time to put together. You see, it's almost like the natural world. Well, it is, to our experience, but, it, but from my point, this has been developed over, um, over a very long period of time, probably thousands of years, and it may have been the mode of op operation uh, in, during the Ice Age in, in Southern Africa. should say something about um, circumcision, too. Because um, a number of people are, are looking at this, and uh, you know the foreskin is just a little foreskin, but it apparently uh, is highly significant in uh, the bonding of a man to a woman, and that there are neurotransmitters and uh, and hormonal secretions, and it has uh, significant <clears throat> societal effects if if the population is circumcised. What I would, you know, and I like, there's no rational reason to do it. There's no reason to circumcise anyone. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, an individual case for something, but it, the population it should not be circumcised. But what this looks to me like is a, is a sign that the Jews have been captured. Um, hmm. And, you know, there's a, and it's one of those things it's like vaccinations, you know, you try and fight vaccinations, the, uh, the ideology comes right down on you, the whole thing comes down on you and, and attacks you. And right. apparently circumcision is the same way, you say, well, I don't want to circumcise this kid, and, and, and they're after you. So <clears throat> that's, that is kind of the way I'm, I'm looking at it at this time. And uh, I don't think you can trust the Bible, because it may have been written entirely uh, to confuse us. Now, I'm not talking about uh, the work of Jesus Christ because he's, he's primarily in ethics. And I think the Jefferson Bible, which is really very, just a few pages on the ethical teaching of Jesus Christ, is probably the major part of the whole thing because it's about inter human beings interacting with other human beings. I don't think that you can, you know, you have to be careful with demons or uh, anything that's, that's mysterious because it might be there to confuse it. And we're in a, we're in a very difficult situation now with, this, with the geoengineering. Uh, that's that's sure. in the, the material I sent you. Yeah. But yeah. we're getting close to, um, to major catastrophes that California is going to be... Uh, well, I mean, if, 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 they turn, if, they don't, if, if it doesn't stop, if they don't stop the spraying out in the ocean and, and shut off the harp, uh, I, you know, California is going to essentially be gone in a couple of years. Right. Real quick, because you touched on the ethics there. I have a question concerning, you know, you talk about the defining characteristic of, of Homo sapiens, which is empathy, compassion, love, desire, uh, and adherence to that golden rule. Where do you suppose that comes from? You know, because a lot of a lot of what the views, even though our worldviews may differ, we might agree that you know it's it's better for us to show compassion, love, desire, all these things. Where do you think that moral 
objective foundation comes from? What, what I think <clears throat> is that this, this arose, I mean, this is just purely my speculation, sure. that this arose in the, in the crucible in southern Africa, which I think might have been rather awful. <laughs> the two-legged chattel uh, who were tending the fields, and then there are a lot of gold mines there, uh, doing the mining and who knows what else, and confined in these um, silos, if that's what it was. I think that the evolution of, uh, of these human characteristics would have uh, conferred a considerable advantage on those who had it, that they that they tried to take care of each other mm -hmm. in an environment which was run by mathematicians. Sure. That's just what I'm speculating at this time. Because, uh, Wouldn't that sort of suggest that these ethics are, in some sense, a subjective phenomenon, though, and not so much really grounded in any kind of external objective reality? And, and you kind of know what I'm getting at? Well, I'm trying to figure that out, but it's, um, it, but it's like, it confers a survival advantage to those who have it. For instance, I mean, if the, if the psychopathic principles were put to rest, you know, and we were, running, we were running the world according to the golden rule, can you imagine how fabulous it would be? I mean, that's, yeah. so if there's the objective evidence that if a population is living that way, they do better. I mean, I think, you know, it's, However, get the, the money, the, the bankers out of it, and all this uh, the other stuff, the things would reverse incredibly rapidly. That is true. But however, if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, a lot of times it is the most ruthless and the most uh, lacking of moral character that, you know, puts these people on top. That oftentimes in, in a business situation or in a combat situation, those who fight dirty and those who do, you know, who are not thinking about doing unto others as they would have done unto themselves are the ones who, if you look at it from a Darwinian point of view, are the ones who survive. So it seems like that a sort of uh, objective moral compass would be a detriment to at least well, well, an, an individual's ability to thrive in this uh, sort of harsh world we live in. Well, there's no doubt that uh, very crooked, smart men, psychopaths, win. But we're, if we talk about the system, the survival of the system as a whole, what we're looking at right now is no survival. We're looking at, at extinction of uh, Homo sapiens, and uh, maybe of a very special type of extinction, of a market reduction of uh, what's here, and uh, essentially um, electronic and chemical control of what's left. Um, let's see, you know, the, the Georgia Guidestones said that what, what there should be a... 500... Yeah, taking care of the earth. They didn't, they didn't happen to mention the uproar, <laughs> destruction of, of the uh, glacial meltdown. Catherine Austin Fitz you know, uh, who uh, studied, you know, the brilliant in economics, <laughs> suddenly thought that, well, well, it looked like, you know, everything is set up to reduce the population by 93%. And then a colleague of hers wanted to have lunch with her, and he had come up with the same thing independently. So you have three independent sources, if you can count the guidestones, 
saying, you know, a 93% on that order reduction. And, and, and with the mind control technology that we've got going on now, and then to say heterodyning of uh, EEG heterodyning and, you know, the other stuff, you know, obviously, it's not working. You know, no matter how many jets you have, you're, you know, you're so rich, you actually have a formation of Gulf streams that you fly around in, because you have to be in one. But, I mean, people who are rich essentially have nothing because the whole system is going down. And, and, uh, and you know, so it's, it, would, it would appear to me that to be successful at this point, or, or those who are successful are either are criminally inclined or fools, but they're brilliant. Right. right. Well, this well, has been actually very uh, interesting talk, and I think there are a lot of things that we can agree on. Uh, and that we do hold to be sort of universal. And, you know, there are other things that are um, just fundamental differences in our belief. But I'm glad that we, we were able to speak about these things um, and kind of get your take on uh, the little cone-headed men, of course, and, and all sorts of other things. Um, uh, I'm going to give you the last word here, and then we can wrap it up because we're just about out of time. Okay, well, my last word is that um, <clears throat> I think that we have a great potential. I actually may be on the transition on turning right, turning things around. And Karen talked about that, the giving back financial things straightened out, that the uh, <clears throat> homo capensis uh, type um, large brain hominid is maybe the last screen between um, us and knowing about the. Uh, monoparietal plate conehead, which I suspect is is the dominant species on the planet, mm. um, and uh, is very much with us. And actually, you know, this whole story is in in, in in science fiction movies. I'd I'd like to take the, you know the the time to to go through these go through the movies and, and analyze them, but the story is there in science fiction. And right. um, I'll just talk about two. One was uh, The Man of Steel, um, in which they were talking about the, you know, the kryptonites and versus the human, something on that order. And that what they said there, that the mathematicians were the higher evolution, which right. I think is absolutely not true. It's the total reverse. And the other one, which is somewhat bothersome, is... Uh, Oblivion, which something from outer space, it's always from outer space, you know, blew up the moon, which didn't make things go too well here on Earth. <laughs> and um, what bothered me about that is uh, the 9-11 stories, uh, the, the, uh, and Judy Wood, the, the buildings were dustified. Some uh, technology, the Tesla technology, just sent, sent them up and dust. The molecules sure, were yeah. disassociated. So, and I've heard, you know, I've, and I, I didn't capture someone would say, well, you know, the technology is such that, you know, you can blow a continent away. So I would say that they were telling us at that time that they could blow up the moon or blow up the earth. Right. And I have to think that that is probably true because, you know, nobody talks about really what happened to the uh, to the Twin Towers on 9-11 more than the Twin Towers. Right. And it was way science fiction and it's been there you know, long ago. 
Okay, that's, I guess that's it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dr. Edward Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share your views with us. Um, You know, keep us informed on any new things that you come up with, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you again. Is there a place where people can find you and uh, your things on the internet? Not at this point. No, okay. It's, it's you just with, with, yeah, I'm maybe at some point you can tell me how to get a blog going or something. Like that <laughs> after, you're just laying low right now, huh? Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doctor. There Edwards. are reasons. I, there are reasons I can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there are always reasons. Uh-huh. All right, Doctor Edward Spencer. Thanks again so much one more time for coming on the show, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, you guys are great interviewers. All right, well, there you have it. That was that was a doozy, wasn't it, Gons? I would say so, yes. Doozy yes. would be a, a good Duesen, word for it. Dusenheimer. Dusenheimer. Is that where that comes from? It does. Really? I think I I believe it's called Dusenheimer. Yeah, it was a car. Ah. nice car very cool yeah uh, can you uh is, are you sure about that is that uh, you know yeah are, you are, are the sources me. correct and yes the sources i have all the sources there i can put links in the show notes so you can all check that out i'm actually gonna check make sure Dusen Dusenberg. that's what it is Dusenberg. wait i think let me i'm googling right now <laughs> Here we go. Yep, Duesenberg. That's not Duesenheimer. Duesenheimer's the Jewish Duesenberg. Oh, okay. But I guess Duesenberg is already kind of Jewish. Anyways. It's all covered yeah. up. Anyways, it was a doozy. <laughs> it was a doozy. Yeah. Uh, so there you yeah. go, everybody. Um, very interesting conversation. Probably one of the more difficult ones for us over here. I don't know. Difficult might be the wrong word, but um, it was a doozy. <laughs> and so... Like I said, there's probably a lot of stuff. A lot of you were like, Basil, guns, come on, say something about this or that, or that sounds kind of fishy. But we we didn't want to turn the conversation into a spirited debate at the time. So, um, you know, what we're going to do is just address a couple things here after the interview, which might not be fair, but hey, it's our show. So mm. there you go. Yep. Yeah. So there's a lot of things in there that probably need to be addressed that I personally did not feel uh, ready or, or, I mean, it just kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Sure. First off... Let's just make sure that we say that we enjoyed our conversation as we always do. And we are very grateful for both Karen and Dr. Ed for coming on the show. And um, we respect them for what they're doing. And, um, you know, but we just have some very fundamental belief systems that are differing. So there we go. That being said, yeah, and, and it's important, I think, to point out where they do overlap because it's not a completely black and white issue right. here. Exactly. Uh, there are some things that we do agree with, but there are certainly some things that we don't. And one of the first things that I'm sure all of you listening noticed was that um, when we all the information that Karen was giving about the, the banks and, and all that was very fascinating. I thought it was very interesting. Yes. Um, but when we tried to transition, or when we did transition... 
And from that to this whole uh, homo capensis thing, what she brought up was Akhenaten being Abraham. Right. And um, actually, have you heard about this whole uh, idea, Basil, before today or before this interview? I, you know, I personally had not um, heard about it or didn't make the connections with it before. After hearing it and after looking into it, it did kind of, I was like, oh, I think I've seen this wandering around the internet before. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I've I've actually ran into this um, probably about a year ago. Um, right. You know, was like, wait a minute, you know, what does that mean for, for my faith? And, you know, right. you always have kind of a moment of crisis, you know, but then you sort of right. settle in and you sort of start looking at the evidence and you start looking at the arguments. And then you remember, this is the internet. This so <laughs> this is probably the should look age. into this a little bit. Yeah. So... Like we mentioned during the conversation, there have been quite a bit of writing research done on this whole possibility. Um, some of the books, uh, I think the earliest one was in 1987 called Stranger in the Valley of the Kings, Solving the Mystery of an Ancient Egyptian Mummy. And, and you know, there was a bunch. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Moses, Why don't you just real quick tell us who uh, Akhenaten is? And- sure. So, uh, so Akhenaten was one of the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, depictions of Akhenaten have, um, you know, sort of a feminine, it was supposed to be a man or a male, but it has a feminine figure, uh, you know, wide hips, that kind of thing. So, you know, maybe that might ring a bell for, it's kind of hard to describe it without seeing it. But, sure. Um, but, you know, so there was, and there's, <laughs> of course, internet age, There, there's rumors nowadays about how, Obama is a clone of Akhenaten and I mean, <laughs> nice. it, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. So, but anyway, so, so Karen had mentioned that Akhenaten was Abraham. Now, you know, trying to kind of do a little, you know, re research on some of that stuff. I didn't really find a whole lot on Akhenaten being Abraham. Uh, I did find people talking about how uh, Akhenaten was Moses and, and that's that's more of the uh, I guess the alternative uh, researchers. That's what they're saying is that Moses and Akhenaten are the same person. And mm. one of the leading uh, people in that conversation uh, was a fellow named Ahmed Osman, and uh, he wrote a book that talked about this. And uh, you know, he's sort of a I guess you can call it like a pseudo historian. <laughs> he's trying to uh, right. take some elements of both the Egyptian view and and I believe and, and I could be totally wrong. Don't quote me on this. I believe he is a Muslim, so he takes the Quran as part of uh, the whole you know uh, part of the whole puzzle, if you will. Right. Uh, and so he tries to put it all together, and uh, he has a, a book called "Stranger in the Valley of the Kings," and he makes an argument that uh, Akhenaten and Moses are in fact one and the same. Right. Um, so. I reached out to some people that I know would have something to say about this. And one of them was Dr. Michael Heiser. Oh, Mikey. Yep. Oh, Mikey. Um, and you guys have uh, probably know Michael Heiser. He's pretty popular in our circles and, and whatnot. But he talked about, <laughs> he, he sent me a link. He, he basically, in the email, he said, you know, real, real briefly, he said, oh, his evidence is unfounded. Nobody in, you know, archaeology and in, in, in this field takes this theory seriously and uh you know this sparks the conversation and i think sort of the premise of the entire conversation we had 
which was, who do we trust? Do we trust the establishment or, you know, these alternative researchers? And it kind of goes back and forth, right? It's a vicious cycle because on one hand, there is corruption in the establishment, right? The established academic scholarship. There's sort of, Mm -hmm. I guess, a veil or a, you know, suppression of certain information. And and if you don't abide by certain things, then you won't, you know, get your PhD. And, you know, there's all that stuff going on. Right. But you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You can't. You can't say sure. that everything is a cover-up. So, right. Well, I mean, that's sort of the trap. Right. So, and anyway, getting back to, uh, and that, I think that theme runs throughout the whole, the whole thing here. But right. basically, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser uh, sent me a link to in a short article he wrote that I will link to as well in the show notes. And uh, he quotes an Egyptologist, Donald Redford. Uh, and let me just read a very, very brief segment of what he said. He said, uh, Sadly, Mr. Osman has no new evidence to offer, nor any new reconstruction of history other than that which, at one time or another, has suggested itself to many an undergraduate only to be dismissed upon sober reflection. Mm-hmm. I find myself wondering why Mr. Osman felt obliged to write a book at all. But he did write it, and my remarks are directed towards those who might be misled into taking it seriously. And he goes on to compare some of the, uh, you know, biblical accounts with even the Egyptian accounts and linguistic comparisons that are brought up by Osmond. Uh, so, so again, that's just one angle that you know that's one person talking about it from the other end. And so, you know, do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Um, but it is my opinion based on some of the things that I've read and, and the scholarship that I, uh, uh, I guess I trust. I don't know. Is that a right. too, too strong of a word maybe? But that uh, th- this theory that Akhenaten was Abraham or Moses is, uh, is, is false. So Right. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Well, I mean, and, and throughout the interview, this is kind of the first example of uh, sort of an underlying trend of anti-Semitism that one could sense listening to the interview. And I mean, Dr. Ed even kind of addressed it at one point in the interview saying, you know, everybody gets on you for being anti-Semitic, but um, but look at it, you know, look at the evidence or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm not quoting him, but that was basically what I took from it. And I think there's something to be said that, yeah, yeah, you know, it is difficult and it's kind of taboo to to look at it. But even when you do look at it, it's, it's biased. Right. It's a biased approach. It's not, it's not always objective. So. Right. And well, and what's interesting is uh, actually taking a look at some of Dr. Ed Spencer's sources that he quoted a very strong anti-Semitic uh, influence sure. is throughout um, yeah. many or all of his sources. Right. One of them he mentioned, uh, he mentioned the book Synagogue of Satan by Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember running into that book uh, quite early on and sort of, you know, having my eyes being open to this whole realm and, um, Basically, the book starts off looking at Khazaria in uh, around 740 AD, uh, which is a land locked between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Right. 
And the theory goes that, you know, they were surrounded by, on one side, the Muslims, and the other side, the Christians. And so, you know, the king of Khazaria, King Bulan, decided to adopt the faith of Judaism because the logic goes that uh, if they do Christianity, then they'll be attacked by the Muslims. If they go Muslim, they'll be attacked by the Christians. Right. But if they convert to Judaism, then both sides would want to trade with them. And so, according to the synagogue of Satan, King Bulan decided to instruct his people to convert to Judaism. And, uh, you know, the assumption goes that he was right and that he, uh, you know, his land didn't get conquered. Uh, and so, let me read this uh, out of the book here, uh, out of Synagogue of Satan, just to give you a feel. Quote, King Bulong was right. He would live to see his country unconquered. His people convert to Judaism enthusiastically and adopt the principles of the most holy Jewish book, the Talmud. Now, there's a little bit of issue there already because, uh, you know, some of that could... Uh, be refuted, you know, it's it's not necessarily the Talmud that is the most sacred book. Yeah. It's actually the Torah, the first five books, or the Pentateuch, as uh, some would call it. But nevertheless, let's move on. He goes on, quote, He would not live to see his Asiatic race of converts to Judaism one day represent 90% of all the Jews on the planet and call themselves Ashkenazi Jews, when in fact they were not Jews, but simply an Asiatic race of people who converted to the Jewish religion whilst still continuing to speak the Khazarian language of Yiddish, totally different to the language of Hebrew. So, again, it works on this premise that there was a huge conversion of people to Judaism, and that 90% of the people in the world are not actual Jews descended from uh, you know, the Hebrew people. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes into a huge history of um, Jews that have been... Uh, he goes through about a thousand years of history. He talks about the Rothschilds uh, getting control, and, and you know, right. Um, but one of the issues is that you know the book doesn't have a list of references to fact check a lot of these things. And there's actually, according to to many people who have looked at this book, there's a lot of factual errors. There's historical distortions, and some of it are quite embarrassing, apparently. And um, you know, so. It turns out that it it is really kind of an anti-Jewish book. It's anti-Semitic, right? And you know, while we you know we understand that the elders of Zion and Zionism has been something of a problem in the last uh, century or so, you know, there's all kinds of conspiracy talk on that front. Uh, I would say that to then sum up this whole idea as uh, you know the conspiracy, uh, the Jews, the fake Jews are behind this whole thing. That the Illuminati are Jews and and everybody behind the conspiracy are Jews. Right. Um, that's just not founded per se. And and also to add, Chris White did a video called "The Khazar Myth Debunked," and uh, he actually refutes uh, Arthur Colster. Uh, he wrote a book called "The Thirteenth Tribe," where this whole idea of the Khazar Jews come from. And so I'll put a link to that video as well. And so for Dr. Ed to use Synagogue of Satan or mention that as a as a source for this whole premise behind the Homo Capensis, uh, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily uh founded and accurate. But nevertheless, let's let's move on. Mm-hmm. And if all of that was enough, he did have one more source, which was uh Eustace Mullins. Yep who was a writer um, 
severely anti-Semitic and a Holocaust denier, actually. And he, you know, he did a lot of um, expose on the Federal Reserve and things like that, and kind of the, you know, some troubling things um, with Zionism. But at the same time, I mean, there's no denying just a really, really intense anti-Semitism. I mean, th there's a quote from one of his books here. If I if I may read it, yeah, it's a book called The Biological Jew. It was written in 1968. Right. It says we must remember that there is no Jewish crime per se, since the existence of the Jewish parasite on the host is a crime against nature, because its existence imperils the health of life of the host. This religious ceremony of drinking blood of an innocent Gentile child is basic to the Jew's entire concept of his existence as a parasite, living off the blood of the host. The Jews do not want anyone to know, I think this may be a new quote here, but no, the it's, Jews, it's, it's, the same. it's the same thing. Yeah. The Jews do not want anyone to know what Nazism is. Nazism is simply this, a proposal that the German people rid themselves of the parasitic Jews. The Gentile host dared to profess against the continued presence of the parasite and attempted to throw it off. The Biological Jew, 1968. 1968. That's pretty far like after. That's, that's, that's a long time. 25 years after, after right. war. Exactly. So, yeah, as you can see, I mean, uh, yeah, this is um, a, a very... This is, this is not even... This is not peppered with anti-Semitism. This is... This is the whole shebang. Here. Sure, yeah, and, and he brings up um, the blood libel, I believe, and I don't have the sources in front of me, I, this, this is difficult to do without sources, I believe in the, in the 1500s or 1600s, um, there was a, a faction uh, of Roman Catholics that accused the local Jews of drinking blood uh, of children, basically, as part of their rituals. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting because that's where uh, some of the Gollum myths arise from, because uh, there was a rabbi that apparently created a Gollum successfully, uh, right. and you know the Gollum protected the Jews from the blood libel. So you know all things. Actually, that's one of the things I discuss in Age of Deceit too. Um, you know because of the whole Gollum issue. Uh, but in any case, nice uh, plug. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, but in any case, yeah, there's a pretty substantial anti-Semitic uh, feel yes. to this. and um, So there you go. We just needed to address that. It, it made me a little uneasy during the interview, but, you know, that's uh, yeah, wasn't something we were going to get into. Sure. Oh, and there's the, the, also the circumcision point that was brought up. Yeah, this one uh, was brought up at the end there. It, this is interesting. It, you know, the claim that Dr. Ed brought up was that you know circumcision itself uh, that there's evidence that the foreskin contains certain hormones that you know if you cut them off then the society will basically be dumbed down and uh you know it's population yeah. control or, or a form of mind control in a sense mm -hmm. uh you know and that's sort of the uh the made from the created by the jews type yes thing. yes that yeah we, Which we, I can actually, I can actually, I can see where somebody would would come to that. I mean, it it, it makes a little bit of sense just kind of when you think about um, 
the whole thought of like uh what was it? I think it was the the uh Navajo codebreakers or scouts or something during the war when they would bring these Native American in guys to be scouts, um, but then they would cut their hair and then seemingly without their hair they would lose like their tracking power and stuff. So I mean there's there's a lot of things um that are kind of involved in like the removing of certain parts of the body right, and sort yeah, of yeah. spiritual awareness or well, even whatever. Just, even just from sensory the, awareness. Yeah. Well, even just from sort of the, 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 you know, evolutionist perspective, you know, we were, we've evolved a certain way for a certain reason and, right. you know, everything has a function except the spleen, but right. you know, or, but, the, or even the creationist perspective where, Sure. We were created this way for a reason. Right. You know? Right. And, and, you know, the arguments against it, there's a lot of people that, that have talked about how it's, you know, it's mutilation. It's, you know, it's all this stuff. So, I right. mean, the, the arguments is similar to other hot topic issues is one that's, um, you know, not talked about a whole lot publicly per se, but it is something that uh, does exist. Now, interestingly, uh, when you look at the scientific review of this stuff you know medical news today you know there's a there's a whole lot of health organizations that have looked at this and a lot of them say that there's more benefits than than not it's not super necessary to have uh have a circumcision done but there are certain medical or or health benefits that come from it and the thing is it's like okay yeah that's maybe true or not true or whatever but and again, it kind of ties into this idea of who do you trust? You know, it's do you the trust establishment. The it's the establishment trying you can't to can't trust the establishment. Right, right. Well, along those lines, there's a, a gentleman named Jean Paul Turcade or Turquid. I don't know. Turcaud. Turcaud. He's an Australian geologist, and he did a study on the hormonal attacks and hormonal issue with circumcision, saying uh, that, uh, or he claimed that the circumcision attacks the endocrine system and that's why it's not any good and he kind of has a whole and i'll have a link to this whole site uh on the show notes but he goes into why this is all wrong now interestingly Wait, he's a he's a geologist he's yeah he's a ge- he's a geologist what is a yeah. geologist doing i don't know i don't know um okay but if you go to his website you know, he goes through all of the different effects and the attacks on the endocrine system and all the hormonal changes and genetic changes that occur because of the circumcision and talks about how certain sensitive parts of the male uh, thing there are removed. And so, again, you know. That's a very mature way to put it. <laughs> the male thing. Anyway. So you go through his website and he talks about all kinds of things with the endocrine system, the hormones that are being manipulated and attacked. And, you know, he even gets into the kosher diet and hormones and uh, the different races and the different manipulation of, uh, of all this stuff based on circumcision. Uh-huh. Um, and so, okay, it looks kind of scientific you know there's sort of uh some study and research done there or whatever but then he starts getting into some very interesting things that doesn't really make sense because he starts getting into chakras okay and uh, that's a very eastern kind of thing there yeah and then 
he gets into why it's 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 a whole section on the history of hormonal manipulation uh, religion and manipulation of society and right. effects on the entire race and stuff like that yeah. and he has this quote quote the discovery of mine is of great importance indeed that all my mining discoveries and geological discoveries and i'm handing it out free of charge for the bettering of humanity and as my knight templar's standard requires me to do of course, the case is well documented, and at this point in time, this is my duty indeed to impact the knowledge of humanity at large. It shows that the whole Semite, J-I-C, Jew, Islamic, Christian, sects, are in fact a complete fraud, and the matter of importance in the Jew system have been carefully put out of reach of the common. End quote. Okay. That is weird. Right. So, what a weird thing to say. Yeah, so, I mean, my whole thing was like, okay, if you want to make a case against circumcision, you don't have to necessarily start going after, you know, the, the Old Testament and general. the Jews. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get it. That's where, you know, the circumcision thing comes from and all that. But so anyway, again, I think the overall premise here is that who do you trust? The establishment or these alternative researchers that are trying to throw down the established orthodox science. Right. Or us. Or us. Because we're part Basil. of the establishment. We're so established. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, okay, that's, that's enough about the snip-snip. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of snipping. Yeah. Um, okay, but so just to wrap up here, one last thing. One of the... Uh, one of the more concerning things that was said was about the Council of Nicaea yep. and an alleged 300 books burned. And that was one, I mean, I, I went to uh, a school where the Council of Nicaea was quite thoroughly covered. And, you know, it's just part of the education that I received. And I had never heard anything about this. And that's not to say that the establishment wasn't trying to keep it away from me. However, this just didn't make a lot of sense to me, that I had never even heard of this, even in a rumor form. Right. Well, it's hard to track down this idea of who said this first. And right. we live... And, and and just to just you know, just for those who did not get the education that some of us did, <laughs> the Council of Nicaea was um, a council brought together to uh, in in 325 CE, where they got together and decided what was going to be in the Bible, like the, which books were included. Sure, there was discussion about. Jesus's deity, that was sort of the main topic. Uh, but right, they kind of just got together and, and worked all of this out. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, it, this is close to 300 years after the time of Jesus. And so you have New Testament writings already floating around. You have early church fathers already talking about the gospel. Um, right. It, it was well established, uh, but not, I guess, uh, what is it, institutionalized. That might be right. the right word. So, you know, and some people will say, oh, there it is, you know, it was institutionalized, therefore it is evil. And, and again, it's not so black and white. You know, I think there's, there's a little bit of gray area, you know. There's, it was good because it, in one sense, it, it 
you know, it's what we have now, but at the same time, I guess you could call it bad because certain books were omitted or whatever. Right, but at the same time, you got to think of the, I mean, think of the Gnostic Gospels. Those easily could have been included in the Bible, but, and, and let's get this straight. The Council of Nicaea was not like a secret thing happening. Like, sure, yeah, it was very It was public. not a secret. This was like all the Christians getting together being like, hey, you know what? We should probably talk about some of this stuff. Like, uh, we should probably figure out, um, you know, What's what's really happening and, here? And and, uh, and and don't even modern science does this kind of thing, right? It's sort of a vetting process, right? Anyway, so Karen had claimed that three hundred books were burned to cover up Homo Capensis, um, right? And so you know, I tried to track down this this source. Where is she getting this information from? And I I don't know if I have the original source because we're in the internet age. The gap between a source and where it ends up on your computer screen, I mean, who knows? However, based on what I was able to track down, the whole thing was started on the internet in a forum back in like 2002 or something like that, where uh-huh. someone mentioned, you know, there were debates going on and someone mentioned, well, they burned 300 books to cover up for whatever. Right. And so there's one with no source. With no there's source. There's no source. Yeah, no source. Like you'd think if something happened thousands of years ago, like you you got to have a reason to think that. Like maybe some really disgruntled employee of the nice of the Council <laughs> of Nicaea, uh, you know, like made a note and was like, "Oh, I'll take them down." Um, but that didn't happen. That I uh, we cannot find a source for this. Right, and. So here's the what we do know is that during the Council of Nicaea, the work of Arius, uh, where we get uh, Arianism. Am I saying that right? Arianism. Arianism. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which okay. is a, an unsavory belief system. Right. 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 The, Generally, this is where uh, I believe you get some of the ideas, uh, the Arian race, and that sort of yes. thing. Is that? Yeah. Okay. So. So that was thrown out, and the works of Arius was burned. And right. actually, it, it was burned for an extensive amount of time, for about five years, um, which is quite a long time to be burning books. Uh, but the idea survived, and obviously it's around now. And um, there's yeah. various factions and cults, and even uh, political institutions throughout history who have adhered to the... Uh, Arianism ideology. Yeah. So even though the books were burned, the the idea remains. And uh, so, it, which speaks to another point that if there is a, a true cover up of this Homo Capensis, which again is another sort of leap of faith, right? First, you have to believe this guy on the internet that said something, you know, twelve years ago, and then leap number two is that the cover up itself was actually for the Homo Capensis, right? right? So that that's that's two leaps of faith. Right. The point was that it was mentioned that 300 books were burned at the Council of Nicaea, and the answer is there is no source for that that we are right. aware of. And 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 the only thing we do know is that Arius's books were burned. Maybe 300 Ari- uh, books written by Arius were were burned. Maybe. But, yeah, but you know, books uh, burning Arius's books may not be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another just side note, based on you know the whole idea of the Bible being manipulated and stuff being added, 
one of the things that Karen had mentioned was that the rapture was added in the Bible. Uh, now, right. now I don't want to get into a whole pre-trib, mid-trib conversation because there is a, you know, there is some people who say that the pre-trib rapture was not truly developed until the late 1800s by a Jesuit named Darby. And I don't want to get into all that right now, but the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible to begin with. So, you know, to say it was added is sort of a misdirection. The word rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo. So if you have the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, you will see the word rapturo in there. And it actually is translated from the Greek word harpazo, which means I seize, snatch, obtain. And the most popular verse where you find that word is 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where it says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And the word caught up is harpazo, which was translated in Latin to rapturo, which is where we get the word rapture. So There you go. You know what other word isn't in the Bible? Trinity. Trinity. Yep, Trinity. Yeah, see? So there you go. The word rapture not being in the Bible, A, not completely correct, B, uh, moot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, those are some of the things that were brought up that we wanted to, to address here briefly. There's obviously a lot more that could be said. Uh, there's topics that we didn't touch on per se, uh, I will have things in the show notes. Uh, for example, Ponerology, the Study of Evil by Andrew Lobazowski. Yeah. Um, some interesting things there that uh, Dr. Ed brought up. Uh, also, this idea of um, the Homo Capensis, the extraterrestrial thing being a cover up uh, for the Homo Capensis. Um, Dr. Ed mentioned a letter written by Dr. Uh, or I don't know if he's a doctor, but uh, Robert. Broom. It was a letter that was written in 1918. Uh, it was about the Boskop skull. And I actually inquired uh, Dr. Aaron Judkins, our archaeologist friend, and he uh, put together a little PDF that, I, again, a link will be in the show notes for that. What else was there? The I don't know. All sorts of stuff. Just make sure to go to canarycryradio.com and check out the show notes for this show. Oh, one last thing. The Charles Hapgood, the maps of the ancient kings, the whole idea right. of uh, the Perry Reese map and, and all that. So, Right. You will see that there. <laughs> yes. So go check that out. Okay. Well, I think that just about fills our time even more here. So, hi, everyone. Welcome to Canary Cry Radio long version. Oh, come on. Dr. Future was longer than this. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, we can just leave this whole part out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know where it's going. I was just talking just to talk. Okay, so there it is, everybody. Make sure to go to canarycryradio.com. Do the show notes, like we've said. Also, we have the support tab there. Very nice tab for everybody. We thank you, uh, all of those who have already helped us out. We are enormously thankful. Um, But if you haven't yet and you feel like the Lord is tugging on you to help out the um, Canary Cry Radio Ministry Project thing, you can go to the support tab. You can sign up for a small monthly donation or give a one-time donation in any amount. Make sure to find us on Facebook, press the like button, stay updated, Uh, also Twitter, 
and all those things. Maybe we should get a Pinterest. You want to get a Pinterest, Gons? Yeah, there was somebody that actually mentioned that we should do that because uh, your artwork, your beautiful artwork would go all a right. long way on a yeah. Pinterest. Or uh, right. what was the other one that's art-based? I don't know. But there you go. Uh, we're not on Pinterest, but maybe someday. Also, go on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to us. Go ahead and give us a thumbs up or a star, you know, and especially a review. We just love reading those reviews. So if you have something nice to say or not, I guess, then you can go ahead and do that. And we will read it and we will feel all warm and cozy inside or just completely betrayed. So there you go. <laughs> Make sure to catch the next episode of Canary Cry Radio. Uh, but until then, think outside. Okay.